Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here this morning. I want to especially welcome the visitors, encouraged by your presence. And uh, we ask that if you have a few minutes to stay uh, afterwards, we would love to get to know you better and introduce ourselves. If you have any questions about what you see during this service, uh, whether during here during the sermon or otherwise, uh, please do ask. Uh, we do want to have a reason for everything that we do in worshiping God. Uh, it's good to see some uh, familiar faces, so welcome back. Um, we want to encourage everybody uh, to come out and to, to worship both us uh, whenever we have an opportunity and a chance. Do keep your finger in Colossians for a minute. Colossians is one of those books in the New Testament that often gets overlooked. It's a short book. It's only four chapters, um, but it's a very pithy book. It's very substantive. And what I'd like to do is take a few minutes to look at just a few verses out of Colossians and try and gain a greater understanding of what um, Paul and Timothy were trying to tell the church in Colossae and also what that would mean for us in our worship today. As Steve read for us before, um, there are several repeated um, words in that short passage at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 that really focus on life, wisdom, and where our focus is and what our attention is drawn to. Um, but as we look through this, well, let's consider the context. The letter was written to the church at Colossae, uh, which was having some problems. And in fact, in the passage that we read here, as we'll see in just a few minutes, there is a specific problem that the letter that Paul and Timothy wrote to the church uh, was meant to address. But in the bigger context of the book of Colossians, of the letter that was written to the church, um, the focus throughout the letter is on Christ. The focus is on who we are as his children and what our attitude should be in following him and looking to him. That's the letter, that's the focus that we see throughout the letter. And I want to encourage each one of us to take a few minutes when we get home or sometime over this week to, to take just half an hour and read through the book um, to look at what the message is in this letter, in this short letter that's written to the church at Colossae and see what Paul and Timothy are trying to tell us, what the Holy Spirit is speaking through the letter to Colossae. But here we see that they're, they're being encouraged to follow what I would call true worship. Right? And one of the issues that we see often in the New Testament, many letters are written specifically with the intent of addressing issues in the church, of addressing issues, maybe misunderstandings, um, or there are opportunities where uh, followers of Christ take advantage of their liberty in unjust uh, ways, in, in unrighteous ways, and they need to be corrected. So we see the letter, for example, to the Corinthians, numerous occasions where the, the worship was not correct or where the body was doing something that was uh, not following the spirit of Christ. And in fact, here in the letter to Colossae, we see that same issue that comes up at the end of chapter 2. We see that the issue that, the, that Paul and Timothy are addressing is um, what he calls the elementary principles of the world, right? And he starts off in verse 20, if you have died with Christ. And that letter if is a conditional if. And yet it's a rhetorical question at the same time. He's speaking to the body, to the church at Colossae. And they have, in fact, or should have died um, to the principles uh, of this world. And yet we see that there was a challenge that the church had, an issue that the church had with focusing on physical rules, on physical uh, lists of do's and don'ts in the worship. Don't do this, don't do that, don't touch this, don't look at... There are various rules and regulations that were stipulated at the church. 
And the letter that Paul and Timothy is writing to the, the church at Colossae is saying, wait a second. Why are we focusing on those physical issues? Why are we focusing on those rules and regulations, the do's and don'ts? And many times we see, in fact, in speaking to the, the, the law that was in the Old Testament, of the, all of the regulations and all of the rules that were really impossible for anybody to completely follow, for any human to completely follow. But we see that many times that those directives were used, and in fact they were added to. There was a hedge that was built around the old law that said, this is what you shouldn't do, but we're going to make it worse. We're going to just protect ourselves and add some new rules and regulations just to make sure that we don't cross the real ones. Just to make sure that we don't break the real law, we're going to add additional rules. And in fact, that may be exactly what the church at Colossae was also going through. They were adding rules and regulations of things that should and should not be done in the worship. And yet the letter that Paul and Timothy wrote to the church is saying, let's take a step back. Let's look and really see what is important. Is it important not to touch this, not to taste that, not to do this? What is our attitude in doing those things? And in fact, as he says here in verse 20 of chapter 2, that they, they are in, focused on the elementary principles of the world. And with that simple if at the beginning of the verse, Paul and Timothy are telling them to wait Let's really consider that if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, if you have really died with Christ, then no longer should those physical rules and the physical regulations be your focus and be your guide. But if that's not to be your guide, if that's not to say what's right and wrong, then what is? And he continues in that same passage where he says, all of these matters in verse 23, the matters of of these rules and regulations that they're adding, they have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. So even in doing these things, they are trying to put their body in submission. And yet they are trying to put their body in submission in and of itself, just for its own rule, just for its own result. And in fact, they, he says it has the appearance of righteousness. It has the appearance of being good, right? We should put our body in subjection, absolutely. Our body should be in subjection. We should control what it does. We should control our mind and what we think and our words and what we say. No doubt about it. But what his focus is here is he's saying all of these rules are being added for themselves, just for the rules, that there's really not the intent and the purpose that we should have. And he begins in chapter 3, and it's important to realize that these chapters and verses were our later additions to help us navigate scriptures. But in the beginning, it would have been one long letter. It would have just flowed all the way through. And so we have the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. It really is a continuation of the same ideas. And in chapter 3, he begins, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. And again, that same word, if, right, which causes us to stop. And think and ask ourselves, have we been raised up with Christ? If we've been raised up with Christ, then that implies that we have died with Christ. And that will come into play here in the next couple of verses. But we see that he says, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And this draws to mind a, a passage that we read today in the adult class. And we see in... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
we see that the focus that Christ had was on the hereafter. And we see that, in fact, the, the passage and the gains that we have is on the long vision. So let's remember that the, the false teachings that were happening in Colossae were focusing on the body. We're focusing on rules and regulations that we have as part of that body. And yet the physical rules, not the spiritual rules. And we see that in the beginning of chapter 3, the contrast is immediately made with being raised with Christ. In being raised with Christ, the earthly body, the earthly existence is no longer the focus. It's no longer the intent or the purpose. And we need to keep seeking not what's here and not what's now, but the hereafter. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And he continues in chapter 3, verses 2, 3, and 4, with helping us understand how to do that, how to have that proper focus. We see that death in verse 1 of chapter 3, we have been raised and implies a death with him. And yet we see in verses 2 and 3, for you set your, to set your mind on these things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have died. Physically, we are here. Spiritually, we have died. And that's exactly the contrast that he's meaning to make, where the rules and regulations at the end of chapter 2 focus on the here and the physical things. Don't do this. Do this. And yet in chapter 3 at the beginning, he focuses on what is spiritually important, and what we should set our minds on, and the setting on the things above. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. How does that mean that your life is hidden with Christ in God? We see, in fact, that many times our understanding of Scripture is looking backwards. But let's consider what the life of Christ meant to somebody in the first century. What Christ would have represented to them. Our life is hidden in Christ contrasts with the open and physical and evident life that we have here on earth. And we see if we turn back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 26, we see the comparison with what really is manifest and what is hidden. Colossians 1:26 starting in verse 25. Of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from the the past ages and generations and has now been manifested to his saints. And he's speaking to the church at Colossae, and he says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of his glory, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ's in you, the hope of glory. That mystery that's been hidden through the ages is now manifested in us as his children, in the hope of his glory. And so we see that that ultimate hope that we have contrasts directly with what we see in this physical world and all of the rules that we see. Many times we think of of putting undue emphasis on what we have, on our possessions, will distract us from the right focus. In Matthew 19, 21, he, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. In Luke twelve fifteen, he says, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance 
does his life consist of possessions? And the full, full passage in Luke 12, verses 13 through 34, gives you the full context of having the right focus is not on what we see and what we can touch, but on our spiritual life that we have in Christ that was originally hidden, but is now manifested in his glory. And ultimately, see, we, we see in Revelation 2.10 that if we are faithful until death, we will have the crown of righteousness. And that ultimate victory that's promised to us is not a here and now, is not a physical manifestation of riches and glory, but is a future promise that we have because Christ is in us. And we were raised with Christ, as we see in chapter 3 and verse 1. So ultimately, our focus in this life should not be this life. Our focus in living and walking in this world should not be physical things, should not take our, our focus away from Christ and who we are as his children. So ultimately, we have to ask, what was the problem at Colossae? The problem at Colossae was that they had a focus on what wasn't important. And ultimately, Paul and Timothy were saying to the church, take your focus away from what's not important and look on the things that are above The things that are above are what matter. Our life that was hidden in Christ, that will be revealed and ultimately glorified with him on his return. In verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. That's the vision and the focus that we should have. Just in Hebrews 12 says, our, Christ's vision was on the glory that he would have with the Father. Philippians 2 says, he emptied himself, but he did that. He went through that suffering because he knew that his Father's promise would bring him back. That he would once again be restored to his Father's right hand. And that same promise that was made to Christ, that powered Christ through those sacrifices, that enabled him to make the right choices And to make those sacrifices that he would go to the cross for us. Because ultimately the glory was promised to him. We are called to make those same choices. We are called to have that same attitude in ourselves that Christ had in him. And we see that clearly in chapter 3 and verse 4. That Christ, who is our life, when he is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. What a fantastic promise that we have to look forward to. But it's not because of what we have. It's not because of things that we've been given that we can touch. And as Paul and Timothy remind us at the end of chapter 2, all of those things will fade away. The more that we use it, the faster it goes away. Those things will dissolve. That's not what our focus should be. We should always continue to focus on Christ. Well, that's fine for the church at Colossae. But what does it mean for Annapolis? Well, there are two ways that this applies to us here. It applies to us as individuals. It implies to each one of us as children of his. How we live our life, where we put our focus, what's important to us. What do we spend our brain cells thinking about? Are they physical things that's going to wear out, throw away, we'll have to get another one? Or are they spiritual things? Things that are in the hereafter. Things that when Christ comes back, we will be glorified with him. As individuals who worship him, what is our focus? What is our purpose and our intent? Why did we come here today? Is it to just be here? Is it because we didn't have something better to do? 
Is it because, well, you know, I've always done it. I'll keep doing it. Might as well. If that's our attitude, is that really the attitude that we should have in coming to worship God and to honor and glorify his son? Who has said, if you die to these physical things, if you die to the elementary principles of the world, your focus will be on me, on the glory in the hereafter. And when I come back, I will glorify you with me. And again, we see that same promise comes back to remind us of where our focus should be. But not only as individuals, but as individuals, we make up this body. We are members of this body, and we work together as parts of an engine or as different pieces that function together with different roles, different purposes, different abilities, but with one same goal. Our focus here in Annapolis should be on the hereafter, not on the here and now, but how we can focus on Christ. That will guide our lives. That will guide our hearts and our words that we speak and the actions that we perform. Do they show that we're focused on this world? Or do our words, our actions, our deeds, our attitudes show that we have a focus on Christ and on the life that he has promised to us? On the glory that's not ours, but that's his, that he will glorify us in the hereafter. So as we worship as a body, we consider how to do that appropriately. We look at the end of chapter 2 and we see there are certain rules and regulations we could certainly add. And they would look good. They look like they're mortifying the body, right? They look like they're, they're saying the body's not important. And yet the end of those things is not right. It's the rule in and of itself not to focus on the hereafter. And adding those rules just for rule's sake is not what we're called to do in worshiping him. So let's focus on these things above, on what we're called to have a focus for. As was read on the table this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see that we're called to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us, to reflect on his gift of purity, washing our sins away through his blood, through his body that was sacrificed for us. And we're called to do that on a weekly basis, to remember what he's done for us. Well, what else do we do as we're here in the worship? Well, let's take a look at some other passages in Colossians. Some of them may be familiar and some of them may be new. We're called to be one body. If we look a little further in chapter 3 and verse 15, we see, let the, Christ, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. As I mentioned before, we're all members, but we're members of one body, not dozens of bodies or hundreds of bodies. We are one body. We are members of one body, and we're called to act as such. In Colossians, the next verse, in verse 16 of chapter 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing but how do we teach and how do we admonish? We have the class this morning. We have classes on Wednesdays. But we also have songs. And as we continue in verse 16, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we see in these two verses, in 15 and 16, a word that's repeated is thankfulness. And if we have the focus on what's important, on the things that are above, 
rather than the things that are here. That will help us to be thankful for what we have and what we, he has done for us. In verse 17, we continue, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three times in three verses, we're called to have thanks, to give thanks for what he has done for us. Another important part of this worship service today is prayer, is approaching God and bringing our needs to him, but also bringing our thanksgivings to him. Let's turn over to chapter 4 of Colossians and see how we are directed to pray. In fact, we see in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. That doesn't mean to do it every now and then. It means to devote yourselves. And again, it contrasts directly with what we see at the end of chapter 2, is the devotion that they had been giving them is rules and regulations, stipulations that were added with the appearance of wisdom, the appearance of godliness, but were not the correct focus. Devote yourselves to prayer, chapter 4 and verse 2, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Again, we see that thread of thanksgiving that goes through prayer as well as singing. We are also called to preach the word in the next verse of chapter 4, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up for us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Paul and Timothy were asking for the ability to preach the word of God, even in prison. And yet we're called to have that same desire as well, to be able to spread the mystery of Christ. And again, we remember that the mystery of Christ, we are to be revealed in him. We're also called to um, encourage one another. And our presence here is an encouragement for each of us. Um, when we come together, it's always good to see one another. And we are encouraged by your attitude and by your desire to worship him and to glorify him. So we see ultimately that the church in Colossae had a problem with additional rules and regulations that looked good, that looked like they were really putting the body in subjection, which is fine, but it's an appearance rather than the reality. It's a veneer rather than the depth. And Paul and Timothy are reminding us that the depth comes from having a focus on the things above, on Christ and what he's done for us. So as we worship today and every other day, we remember that Wayne and I are responsible for this congregation. We are responsible for the spiritual health of this congregation. We are here to serve this congregation. So as we go through, we are asking for you to work with us, to help us, to strengthen our worship here in this body, to be more faithful Christians and look forward to growth and determination to, again, focus not on what's here, but on the things above. If you have any questions about what we do, if you have any doubts about what we do, if you have any suggestions or inputs about what we do, we would encourage you to engage with us, to talk with us. We'll reach out to you and we'll speak with you, but we ask that you would help us as we build the body here in Annapolis. We want to avoid the problems that Colossae was having by putting undue emphasis and burdens on what looks right, but isn't right. It doesn't have the core beliefs, the core purpose, and the core focus that Paul and Timothy reiterated that we should have on what's above. So we must be vigilant 
against the appearance of righteousness, but a hollow religion, not a true worship that we're called to have. So what motivates you individually today? If you've put on Christ, if you've responded to his call, if you've been buried with him, and as he says here, if you have been raised up with Christ, but you find that you've fallen away, that you've lost the right attitude, the right position, the right spiritual motivation in your life, if you want us to help, we would be more than happy to pray with you, to encourage you. Whether you do that now or or speak with us later, we would ask that you would let us know any needs that you have. If you haven't yet put Christ on in baptism, but realize that the important things are the life in the hereafter, of what's above rather than what's on this earth. If you desire to put Christ in baptism, put him on in baptism and be raised with him, that opportunity is here and now for you to respond to his call to respond to his call to follow me and to make the right choices and the right decisions and realize that the life in the hereafter is what's important, not the physical things of this world. Once you call and respond now to the call, as together we stand and sing. <laughs>